Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to, told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Then the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you all, for you all will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and to deliver, to deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. Then the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a, man is laid, but if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the, in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so it be. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to, jo to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of land melt away because of us. Well, there's an episode, a television show, Seinfeld, uh, where George gets really fed up with his employer, and so he decides he's just going to go and tell his employer how he feels. Uh, so he does that and obviously gets fired, but then after that he doesn't have kind of a, a step. He, do, he doesn't really think it through, and he's not sure what he's going to do. So his friend Jerry is trying to kind of talk him through what the next step should be, and so Jerry says to him, so what are you going to do? And George says, 
I like sports. I could do something in sports. Uh, okay, okay. And in what capacity? Well, maybe the general manager of a baseball team or something like that. <laughs> Jerry says, yeah, well, that could be tough to get. Well, it doesn't even have to be a general manager. Maybe I could be like an announcer or like a caller man. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Yeah, yeah, you, you make good comments, Jerry says. Well, what about that? Well, Jerry says, well, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcasting. Well, that's not really fair. So what else do you like, Jerry says? Movies. I like to watch movies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Do they pay people to watch movies, George says? Well, projectionists, George says, well, that's true. But you've got to know how to work the projector. Right. And Jerry says, it's probably a union thing. Those unions, okay, sports, movies. What about a talk show host? Talk show host, that's good. George says, I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. Someone even told me once they thought I would make a good talk show host. Really? Yeah, a couple of people. I don't get that, though, Jerry, uh, George says. Where do I start? Jerry says, well, that's where it gets tricky. George says, you can't just walk into a building and say, I want to be a talk show host. George concludes, it's, it's all politics. Later in the episode, after he tries to get his old job back and is unsuccessful in doing that, he's still thinking through things that he might like to enjoy. He says, I like history, civil war. Maybe I could be a professor or something like that. Elaine says, well, to teach something, you have to know a lot about it. I think you need a degree. George says, I like horses. Maybe I could be a stable boy. And then he finally concludes, nah, it's probably a union thing. <laughs> now, this is a humorous story, and if you'd watched the, the episode, it'd be even more humorous. But the reason it's humorous is because George has no grasp of reality. You know, he's thinking through how he wants to be a, a general manager of a baseball team, or an announcer, or a stable boy, or a professor, or a talk show host. And, you know, in our minds, we're thinking to ourselves, George, you know, they don't just take anybody. You can't just walk off the street and become the general manager of a baseball team. It takes years of schooling. You need to have extensive experience. You might need to know someone to get those types of jobs. Now, that's just the way the world works, and we understand that that's the way the world works. And, and some of that's not a bad thing. When we're going in to, to have a surgery, we don't want our doctor to be educated by WebMD. We want someone who has experience. So there's not a bad thing, but I think we make a big mistake if we take what we know about how the world operates and we use that to somehow limit who we feel God can use. Last week we looked at uh, the calling that God placed on Joshua's life. And uh, we talked about all the things that God was calling him to do and how God told him to be strong and courageous and uh, God was going to call him to do some really scary things, to defeat the Canaanites, and uh, God was going to do miracles through him. But what's interesting about Joshua is that he's kind of someone that we might expect to be a leader. He had been Moses' assistant for quite some time, for many years. He had accompanied Moses on a part of the way up Mount Sinai to receive the law. Uh, he was invested with the authority of Moses himself, who kind of passed the torch on to him. So Joshua, while God's going to do amazing things through him, we might ex he might be someone we'd expect for God to use. 
He has the qualifications, the credentials, so to speak. But this week, we're going to look at somebody else that God used. Someone who's so utterly unqualified that if God could use her, God could use anyone. And that's the point, that God can use anyone. Rahab, the person, the subject of this passage, has a lot of things against her. First of all, she was a second-class citizen in the ancient world. Women were considered to be less valuable than men in the ancient world. Slave girls were, in the ancient world, cost less than male slaves. Uh, women were often confined to the household and the household duties. Uh, there was also uh, a belief that women were more uh, untrustworthy than men, that specifically that they weren't able to keep secrets. Uh, there was one Sumerian proverb that said, Whatever is spoken in secret will be unveiled in the women's quarters. Another ancient writing said, A woman shall reveal the secret of the king in the land of his enemy. So the first strike she has against her is she's a woman, and in the ancient world that made her second-class citizen. Second, she's a prostitute. Uh, clearly, in the Old Testament, that's prohibited in the law of Moses. And uh, God, uh, God gave this law to Moses, and he associated prostitution with uh, depravity. In Leviticus 19.29, it says, Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution, and the land become full of depravity. So, in short, Rahab is morally corrupt. If you had to pick out of a lineup people that you would think that God would use, you would never choose Rahab as being someone that God would use. And yet God shows us in this passage that He can use anyone for His purposes. And it reminds us that no matter who we are, no matter what mistakes we've made in our past, God can redeem those things and He can use those things for His glory. And so the encouragement today is that God can use you no matter where you are at. But this passage shows us not only that He can use anyone, but He can use anyone from anywhere. Rahab is a Canaanite. She's not an Israelite. She's not from the chosen people of Israel. And the Canaanites were a very wicked people. They were worshipers of false gods. They did a number of abominable things in the eyes of the Lord. And they were so wicked that God commanded the Israelites that when they came out of Egypt, that they were going to go and they were going to bring judgment upon the Canaanites and basically just completely wipe them out. That's how wicked they were that God just told them, you need to wipe these people out. Deuteronomy 20, verses 16 to 18 says, But you shall devote them, speaking of the Canaanites, all these people were considered Canaanites, uh, to the complete destruction, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded, that they might not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. So that's how evil the Canaanites were. And that's Rahab's history. She was a Canaanite. Not only that, the fact that she was a prostitute and lived in the wall indicates that she was probably pretty poor. And so we look at her past, her upbringing, and it seems like a big deterrent to God using her. But despite these things, God is able to use her in a miraculous way. Nothing in our past is a deterrent to God. Some of us come from strong families where we grew up going to church and Sunday school 
And we have that kind of asset of having a strong uh, family background, but others of us don't have that. Some of us grew up with fathers who just kind of walked out on us. Some of us grew up in, in situations where our parents were divorced and we had to kind of split time between each one and we felt like we had to choose between our mother or our father. Some of us have stories where uh, we were abused. We were abused by a family member or a friend. Some of us have stories where we uh, have histories of addiction, where addiction was just kind of something that our family did, that it was common for our parents or maybe even our siblings, to abuse alcohol or to abuse drugs. Some of us come from families where, you know, our parents did the best they could. We just didn't have a lot of opportunities. They had trouble just keeping the lights on. And so we see all these situations, and God has, uh, we, have all, we come from all different backgrounds. And what's amazing is that God can take something that, humanly speaking, is a liability, and he can use it as an asset or an opportunity. Look at the request that Rahab makes in verse 12. She requests that not only herself, but her father and mother and brothers and sisters would all be protected. And the spies promised that if her family would stay in her household, then they would be saved. We don't know what the spiritual background of her family was, but we know that they had enough faith to enter into her household and to be saved. And we know that because of Rahab's actions, her whole family was saved. As a believer, your origins, your story, your background are an asset, an opportunity. You're the best person in the universe to reach your family with the gospel. You have credibility. Your family has seen you and observed you. They know how you are. They know how you operate. And so the places where God has placed us, our origins, are an opportunity to reach and save others with the good news of Jesus Christ. Yet in addition to our history, our origins also provide us with an incredible opportunity to encourage and share uh, love with those who have gone through maybe similar circumstances that we have. If we know what it's like to uh, drink a six-pack every night, then we can, and we've overcome that through Christ, we can help somebody else who's struggling with that. If you've walked down the road of not knowing where you're going to get the next meal, you can have empathy, and you can understand what someone who is very poor is struggling with. If you've walked down the road of loss, whether it's losing a a child or a parent or a spouse or whatever loss you've experienced, you can help those who are experiencing similar losses. If we know what it's like to be abused, we can minister to and advocate for those who are oppressed and those who are suffering. Our history can become an asset. Where we came from is an asset to help other people who are in similar circumstances. So God can use anyone from anywhere, and He can use anyone from anywhere for any purpose. Of course, the clearest thing that Rahab did in this passage is she saved her family, and we know later in the story that they were indeed saved. Uh, she also protected the, the spies, so the spies were saved. But there's much more to the story than that. After Israel invaded the land... Rahab married a man named Salmon, who was a prince of the, from the tribe of Judah. They had a child whose name was Boaz. And as God would have it, it would be through 
Rahab and through Boaz that Jesus Christ would come eventually. I mean, it's so remarkable that God would take a Canaanite prostitute and choose to put her in the line of Christ. But there's even more to it than that. Hebrews chapter 11 is is referred to as the hall of faith, so to speak. And we read about the heroes of the faith in that story. We hear about uh, Noah and who built the ark. We hear about Abraham who left his homeland and offered up Isaac. We read about Isaac, the faith of Isaac and Jacob. We read about Moses who led the people out of Egypt. And we hear about Samson and David and Gideon and all these people who did such miraculous things. And it's interesting that for all that Joshua did, he's not included in the hall of faith. I don't know why. I don't know that there's any particular reason for that. But he's not included in the hall of faith. But Rahab, this Canaanite prostitute, is included in the hall of faith. With Abraham, with David, with Moses, with Isaac, with Jacob. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the the spies. See, this pagan Canaanite prostitute saved her whole family. She was in the line of Christ, and she serves as an example for everyone, all believers throughout history. An example of what faith looks like. And so... The first reason that all these things happened to her was because of God's grace. God chose to show His favor to Rahab. But also, it was secondarily because of her faith. See, God can use anyone from anywhere for any purpose when he or she trusts in Him. We have to have faith. And the faith that Rahab has is quite remarkable. You see, it's especially remarkable when we consider the faith or lack thereof that the Israelites had. The Israelites had experienced the hand of God in miraculous ways. They experienced God leading them out of Egypt, bringing the plagues upon uh, the Egyptians, upon Pharaoh. They experienced uh, God parting the Red Sea and going across on dry land. They experienced God defeating two kings in Sihon and Og when they came out of Egypt. And yet, rather than believe in God, rather than trust in God, continually they turn to idolatry. Continually they failed to trust God. So that when they were going to enter into the promised land, they sent spies and ten of those spies came back and said, we we shouldn't go into the land. They're too mighty. They're too strong for us. And rather than trust God, they trusted their own devices. But then we have Rahab here. Rahab has only heard these stories. And some of these stories, the crossing of the Red Sea had happened like 30 or 40 years prior. But she had heard what God had done in the Red Sea and defeating these kings. And she says, she makes this incredible confession, I believe that God is the God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. I've heard it. I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. But I've heard of what this God has done and I believe in who He is. And what's remarkable is that before she receives any assurances, before she knows she's going to be saved, she knows that the Israelites are coming. That's all she knows. She makes this decision that she's going to side with the God of Israel. 
that she's going to put her lot in the hands of the God of Israel. Before she knows if she's going to be saved, she knows that God is coming. She knows that He's the King of the heavens and the earth. And she says, I'm going to put my lot in with Him. I'm going to side with Yahweh, the God of the Israelites. And that's the essence of what faith is. It's choosing to side with the God of the heavens and the earth. Choosing to believe that He controls everything that happens. Because just like Rahab, we've heard of the activity of God. We have the record of the Old Testament and all the things, even in this story that God has done. But we also have the story of the Gospel. The story of the fact that we're all sinners. We're all broken. Romans 3.23 says we're all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we deserve to be separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. Yet God sent His Son Jesus to the earth to live a sinless life, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross and He rose again, defeating sin and death once and for all so that we might have a relationship with Him and so that we might not experience death. And just like Rahab's people, the Canaanites, were going to experience judgment, See, the, the, the Israelites were coming to the Canaanites in judgment, and Rahab made that decision, I'm going to side with the God of Israel. In the same way, Jesus is one day going to come back in judgment. He's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. And the question that we need to answer is, who are, are we going to side with? Are we going to side with Jesus? Are we going to entrust our lives to Him? Are we going to choose to follow Him as the God who's the God of the heavens and the earth. Some of us here maybe have never entrusted our lives to Christ. We've never made that decision that we're going to side with the God of Calvary. Today can be the day that you do that. Myself or Pastor Phil or Patrick would love to talk to you more about what that means. Or you can just go home after, after the church today and just do some business with God. Talk to Him. Invite Him to come into your life. Invite Him to change you. And tell Him that you side with Him. That you want to follow Him. That you want to do everything that you can to follow after Him. But it's not just for people who are going to become believers. It's a question that we need to answer every day. Every day that we wake up, we need to make the decision, who am I going to side with? Am I going to side with Jesus or am I going to side with what the world tells me? Am I going to side with Jesus or am I going to side with my fleshly desires? Am I going to side with Jesus or am I going to trust in my own wisdom? Every day we need to make that decision of who we're going to side with. Rahab chose to side with the God of Israel. Who will we side with? When we side with God, there's nothing that God cannot do through us. God can use anyone from anywhere for any purpose when he or she trusts in him. There's a man named uh, Bill Wilson, and uh, Bill Wilson started a ministry in New York City, and uh, a big component of that ministry was a Sunday school ministry where they would go and they would pick up kids uh, on you know, buses. They had like 50 buses at one point, and they would bring them to Sunday school. And uh, this really rough area, uh, Wilson himself was stabbed twice, he got shot at. Uh, one of his staff members was killed. Really rough area. Uh, but one day, uh, he, uh, this woman, this Puerto Rican woman, came up to him after getting saved in church. And uh, 
she came up with this urgent request. She didn't know any English, but she had a translator, and she says, I want to do something for God, please. Now, Wilson's thinking to himself, how much can she do? I mean, she doesn't know any English. What can I have her do? And he told her that. He said, I I don't know what you can do. But she said in, in Spanish, please let me do something. So Wilson said, okay, I'll put you on a bus, and you can ride a different bus each week and just kind of show love to the kids. So every week she did that. She rode a different bus. Like I said, there was 50 of them at that point. And she would just kind of find a kid that was kind of an outcast or kind of uh, didn't quite fit in. And she would just have the child sit on her lap and she would tell the child the only words that she knew in English, I love you and Jesus loves you. And she'd just keep telling the child that over and over again. After a while, she uh, had this one child that she became attached to in particular. And she told Wilson, I I don't want to switch buses every week anymore. I want to kind of invest in this one child. And this one child didn't speak at all. Uh, He came to Sunday school every week with his sister. And he would sit on this woman's lap, but he never made a sound. But each week... That she came, this uh, that he came. This Puerto Rican woman would tell him all the way back uh, to Sunday school and then back home, "I love you and Jesus loves you." One day, to her amazement, the little boy turned around and stammered, "I, I, I love you too," and he put his arms around her and gave her a big hug. Little did she know that was that were going to be some of the last things that this boy heard. It was 2.30 on a Saturday afternoon, and at 6.30 that night, the boy was found dead in a garbage bag under a fire escape. His mother had beaten him to death and thrown his body in the trash. Wilson says this, I love you, and Jesus loves you. Those were some of the last words he heard in his short life from the lips of a Puerto Rican woman who could barely speak English. He continues, Who among us is qualified to minister? Who among us even knows what to do? Not you, not me, but I ran to the altar once and I got some fire and just went. He says, So did this woman who couldn't speak English. And so can you. God can use anyone from anywhere for any purpose when he or she trusts in him. As we leave today, let us go encouraged that no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what our background is, God can use us. might be something small. It might be something really big. Just like we had the memorial service for Janice yesterday. You know, and we see a woman who experienced such disability. You know, she had severe asthma since the time she was 12 years old. But she didn't allow that to steal her joy. And God used her in amazing ways. And, and yesterday we heard stories of people, person after person, who was impacted by her life. She could have easily given up. She could have easily saying, said, I have a disability. I can't be used by God. But instead she chose to invest in others. And that bore fruit. It doesn't matter who we are. God can use us. Let's never forget that fact today. Go in peace. Go in love. Thank you.